Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast. This is actually a special edition and your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's, or I should say for this special episode, our guest is well known to the podcast. He's been on several times, a couple of debates, and on his own. With that, everybody welcome or help me and welcome me to the show, Yemen Lynn. How you doing, Yemen? Good, David. It's always a pleasure to see you on a on a Monday. <laughs> I'm glad somebody finds it a pleasure. <laughs> well, Monday, Monday happens at least once a week, so no getting Unfortunately. it. Oh goodness, how are you? Uh, doing all right. So I'm coming to you all from uh, Florida this week. So kids are on vacation. They're they're out visiting Yellowstone uh, on a on a Chinese bus tour. I guess that's a that's a thing out in California and in the New York City area. So. They're just they're they're on a bus to, to Yellowstone, so I figured I would take the time and uh, come out and visit visit Jody um, to actually see her when there's not something work related. So for once, you know, no USPSA, no no nothing. Just uh, I think uh, there, there's this thing called vacations. I've heard of it. I still think it's a rumor. Probably is. We we should all just move to Europe, and then we would get we would get a mandatory four week vacation every summer. I like it. I'm down. And they have topless beaches. I mean, come on. Uh, topless beaches are like a great many things we talked about in USPSA. Everything sounds really good in, in theory. And then when you actually experience it, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I didn't know this was a possibility. <laughs> right. Be careful what you ask for. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so a lot has happened since the last time you've been on the, uh, the show. Yep. Um. So the last time I had you on, it was before you became president. Yes, sir. Uh, took office January 1. Um, and then um, sometime, what was it, April, March, April? Uh, end of April. Okay. So end of April, um, Troy makes a ruling to revoke your RO, and you are subsequently... Um, I don't want to say removed, but removed as USPSA. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, 20, 2023, uh, 2023 has been quite the interesting year, to say in the least. That's for sure. I'm feeling the same way you are, in different ways. Um, so we had a brief conversation on the phone last week. And one of the things I said I was going to ask you about was where are you in your head with i i don't know that i would have running based on everything that happened and everything that occurred and, and like i told you i've had private conversations with board members in the uspsa i don't know that i would have wanted to run again so how did you come about that decision from the moment your your RO is revoked to not having your name take off taken off the ballot. How how did you get to that? I, this is what I want to do. Well, the timing was definitely very unique. You know, the the decision was made May thirty first uh, to uphold the director of NRI's decision to you know unilaterally revoke my certification, um, and then per the bylaws. You know, that rendered me ineligible to hold the office of president. Um, 
what is it? The next day was what the deadline to get your petitions in to run for president. And what is it? 14 days after that was when the election actually started. So uh, it, it was it was definitely a very fast process. Uh, yeah, it didn't give you much time to, to think about it. No, not not very much. But as as I think we're both familiar in the Marine Corps, you know, Semper Gumby, you just you kind of have to address the situation at hand and proceed forward. And for me, you know, there were there was some really good progress that 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 we were making, you know, within the short period of time that I was that was in office. Um, you know, I really wanted to make sure that as an organization, we were more effectively communicating you know, what it was that we were doing in the organization, why it was that we were doing things within the organization. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't hurt to to basically give that context. You know, you talk a little bit about uh, the way limited optics was issued as a provisional division. You know, we, we did have members that expressed their concerns about provisional divisions. Basically, once they're created, they just, you know, they're automatic, right? So that was a, that was a concern that was addressed during the discussion where Look, we're you know, it, this is new territory. But at the very least, we put something out there that said, "Hey, you know, in order for this provisional division to become a permanent division, you know, we want a little bit of a uh, a metric that's achieved. You know, whether that metric is is um, made the most sense. At least it was putting a standard out there. You know, five percent of activity uh, participation. I mean, that was basically what single stack uh, had over the the last couple of years, and so." You know, putting something out there and communicating at the membership that at least lets lets the members know, hey, you know, we are actually listening to the members' concerns about putting divisions out there, um, and then just constantly, you know, communicating with the membership about, well, this is what we're looking at, this is why we're looking at things. So, you know, and and the surveys have shown that, right? So there's been a set of surveys that were recently uh, released to the membership asking about some items that we had brought up at the beginning of the year. So we're still reviewing, you know, the concept of, you know, is production as a division still viable in its current setup? You know, what are some adjustments that we can do? Um, there's some, you know, there's some context that can be added in terms of, you know, what is production now? You know, is production still the same thing that it is when it was created, you know, 20, 20 plus years ago? Um, you know, there's a very interesting concept out there with L10 uh, adding optics. You know, there's and adding the context into that of, you know, what we could potentially do with that to make it a division that is different than what it was when it was first created, and even limited optics itself. So, you know, there, the communication of well, why is limited optics not major? You know, why should it not be included in the carry optics? And that sort of communication to the membership is something that I felt was a a good start and and needed to be continued as much as possible. You know, part of my time out in the wilderness, going back and participating at the club matches, you know, the volunteerism and the community uh, that that exists. You know, we we do all. You know, we're we're not exactly doing this for the pink Cadillac at the end of the day. You know, a, a great amount of the time we go out there for our friends. We go out there for the people that we wouldn't necessarily meet in our professional and personal lives, and we're all bonded by this sense of you know, wanting to exercise our second amendment rights, you know, increasing our proficiency in, in the, in, in firearms, whether it's pistol or PC, handgun, PCC, long gun, shotgun, whatever. And just building that, that community, 
you know, I, I think for both of us having been in the Marine Corps, you know, there's a, there's a strong bond that exists, you know, no matter how much time you spend, whether you're a first termer or you're a retiree and my time in USPSA, you know, it's probably the closest I've been to in a while where, you know, you, you see that same sort of community and camaraderie and, you know, after taking a step back and going, okay, well, this was, this wasn't exactly the, the greatest situation that, you know, that I could be in. It's remembering, you know, the original reasons why, and and it's for the members. You know, the, the members are showing that they're, you know, they're wanting to be a little bit more involved. They want to have a little bit more. They they want more of a voice in terms of how the organization is being run. And I think it's only fair that, you know, if we if we look at the bylaws for the president, you know, the president is at the end of the day the national representative for the membership, and so. You know, I think we've we've spoken about it before. Sometimes, you know, maybe I'm still that that wet behind the ear second lieutenant that just joined the platoon and goes, "Hey, you know, the the idealism is still there, and and there still is there still is is good and and a, and a viable, you know, viable mission to be accomplished." And and just because you, know, you go through the hero's journey of of things taking a little bit longer than you expect and and having to deal with various obstacles and 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 concerns, you know, that that doesn't mean that the original goal is is viable or that and that it's valid so yeah and at the end the, of the day I, I still felt that there was work to be done you know there was work to be done for the members and that you know we as we as an organization need to do you know need to do right by the by the members that you know give us our their time and money and volunteerism to you know help the sport run Okay. Uh, even though I've had private conversations with BOD members, I don't, I don't know what the complaint was or what the findings were. The only thing I do know is that the RMIs um, did not recommend you having your RO revoked. And I guess the the other half of the question that I was asking was. Are you able to put a, this is where I don't, I told you, I, I could not have run again because even come, maybe come January one, but definitely not by the time I would have had to have made a decision about running again. Could I have put my emotions aside with how I felt that the individual went above and beyond what was recommended, um, which ended up causing the RO to be revoked are you are you able to put those emotions aside or is the six months enough time or five months whatever it is to be able to assuming you know you're voted back in that that's enough time that can pass that there are no hard feelings per se well i think the line of the godfather probably says it best right you know it, it's not personal it's business um you know we both know having been in the marine corps you know, there's there's responsibility to command and there and there's the you know there is a process that was in place we may not necessarily agree with how with the process or how you know how things were handled but at the end of the day the process does exist and you know as a rage officer you know there's there's a certain expectation that's out there we can have philosophical discussions about how that behavior should be 
um, you know, what is what is considered, uh, you know, acceptable, what isn't. Um, trying to find that balance between, you know, hey, we're, we're all volunteer time, we're here to enforce the rules, but, you know, we we you know we've all seen our share of commanders that, you know, have different interpretations on on how to to be that in that position authority. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, for me, you know, there are things to be learned from from that experience. So uh, there, there's one thing to be said when, you know, when you're a, a lieutenant or a corporal and you can behave in a particular way around around the uh, around the men. And then when you become a captain or a staff NCO, you know, you have to kind of adjust your your behavior. And then when you uh, when you become a senior staff and CEO or you become a field grade officer, you know some you have there there's an adjustment that has to take place, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't still be true to your own personality. It's just an understanding that there's you know there's a there's a different dynamic that exists. Um, you know I have, I have a good friend of mine that's kind of repeatedly told me this. What is that? There's that scene in Band of Brothers where. Um, one of the uh, the junior officers is uh, basically told right before D-Day, you know, you never want to put yourself in a position where you take away from the men. And I think that's a, a that's a good that's a good mindset for me to to keep in mind moving forward is that, you know, when you are the president or where you're in a position of authority, you are in a in a different tier and. There is a balance between being friendly and being open and being um, accessible to the members and then maybe getting a little bit too too personal you know things that things that we things that we talk about in private you know when it becomes everybody's looking at you you know it just it just is what it is and it, it's it's all it's been a it's been a lifelong learning experience that's for sure oh yeah yeah it never ends and and that brings up one of the topics we did talk about which was pretty interesting because we probably talked about it for 10 to 15 minutes at a minimum, maybe 20 minutes. But that's what I call the, uh, I like to call the circle of power. That's what I've, I've termed it. And that's where the ROs report to DNROI, but DR, DNROI reports to the BOD, but people on the BOD are also range masters or CROs or ROs. So they, it's like this big circle, this big loop. And, and one of the things we talked about was there's going to have to be some separation in there because um, the example I was using, let's say Kyle or uh, Ben coming in, they get a complaint. And we'll just say for the sake of argument, it's legitimate. Um, but maybe it doesn't go to the point of revoking their RO, but they feel like they were slighted by Troy, well, Troy still has to report to them. So then there's the chance that, you know, they could then act out on Troy. You know what I mean? So there's opportunity here within the bylaws and everything where you, you and I'll just say Troy, I'm not, I'm not meaning him personally. Right. He's in that, he's in that position. So I'm using his name. You know, where if he has a beef with one of the BODs and there's a, a complaint, well, he could act on that. If the BOD has a beef with Troy, then they could also do the same. So there also seems to be that catch-all where we need to 
find a way to create a check and balance in there so that you don't have these personal beefs or grudges that could then feed into something bigger. No, I, I mean, I, I agree with that assessment. Look, having your elected officials be RO certified so they have a little bit of skin in the game and a, a little bit of a better understanding of you know the decisions that it has to make that the board has to make in order to influence the organization i think that was a very that was a very viable thought process and having a range officer discipline process that was more spelled out so you know i think i along with you know quite a few people didn't realize that there was a modified ro discipline policy until my situation came up and, and it's, it's spelled out it's a it's more defined as a process uh, but then looking at the unintended consequences of okay well we want all the board of directors to be RO certified but they fall under the same discipline policy that ultimately you know ends with whoever the director of nri is um you know a bit I, I think what we've certainly found over the last two years is you know between the bylaw changes and you know all the different issues that have come up during you know the, the multiple elections um, there's there, there's a fair amount of unintended consequences in terms of okay well we looked at this in a vacuum and this is a viable thing we looked at this in a vacuum and this is a viable thing but then looking at how they mesh together um you know I've, I've heard some comments about well you know i would never put myself in that position um and and i think that that that's not necessarily the point i mean the point is well even if you never intend to put yourself in a situation where you would be subject to um the decisions of a, of a single individual it's not that that's not you know the argument the the discussion and the examination really should be okay well what if that does happen you know what if yeah. you are put in that situation how is that addressed so there's there's definitely been a lot of new ground but um it, it is it is a it is a viable question i mean you've got right now what two two range masters that are on the board so uh russell fortney is the incoming area eight director Scott Arnberg is a, a current Area 3 director, and that, you know, that is a very interesting question to ask, right? As, as range masters, they technically, you know, they technically answer to the director of NRI, but as board members, they're also supervising the director of NRI for the bylaws. And so that, you know, that there, there is the potential. And I think at the end of the day, that's really the answer is, okay, well, what is the potential for any conflict of interest, you know, back and forth. So we'll see. I mean, it's, it's on the, it's on the agenda for tomorrow. So you know, we'll, we'll see how that, uh, we'll see what discussion comes out when the meeting minutes uh, emerge at the end of this week. Uh, for sure. I wanted to back up for a minute because you talked about limited optics um, and, and maybe I can get a little more clarification since you're more familiar with that, way more than I am. The 5% participation, is that level twos and above, or is that level ones and above? Uh, the 5% at the time was just across the board, right? So we, we talk about, you know, I really, you know, you've been putting up some really great numbers. Uh, I think Jay Slater's been putting up some really great numbers about participation at the various major matches. But when we talk about activity, uh, the activity discussion at the time was really across the entire organization because, you know, the reality is, I think, what is it, something like 10% of the membership actually attends a level three match and above. 
I mean, the vast majority of the participation is going to be at the club level, and and that's where the focus should be as far as participation is concerned. So it was it was five percent across the board. And I think what we've uh, I think the numbers so far have demonstrated that you know limited optics is is far exceeding um, that that metric. Okay, I mean it's only been in place since May first. Um, and it's already exceeding limited 10 revolver and single stack. So uh, almost combined. Right. Or three, seven. Yeah. So it's, it's still trailing production, but I, I don't know what the numbers are for level ones. I don't even try to look at all of that. So that would be a lot more. But I also don't know, like production level twos and above, we're only talking 5.84%, but I don't know how that number changes locally. Because I feel like, you know, your carry optics numbers are probably even higher locally, but I feel like your production numbers might be higher too, as well as limited. So who knows what the number is with that added. In. Right. I mean, pr production is, you know, production philosophically is a very interesting position right now. You look at what production was like when it first when it was first brought in into the sport you know you're, we're talking about in the middle of the assault weapons ban high capacity magazine bans you know your definition of a production gun at that point is you know a, a glock with 10 round mags and that was pretty much universal you know you skip to 2023 right now and a production gun that you can buy at the at the dealer you know you're, you're looking at canics Walters, the new Springfield Echelon, you know, these are guns that are still roughly within the same price range, about, you know, five to $600, but they have features that I don't think anybody would have expected 20 plus years ago, right? You're, you're yeah. looking at standard capacity magazines, somewhere between 17 and 20 rounds. And these guns have, you know, triggers and features and, you know, things that we would have considered custom you know, not even seven, eight years ago, you know, slide cuts, all these other things that, you know, that we basically changed the paradigm. So part of the discussion about production, you know, increasing the mag limits in production is, is trying to acknowledge that the, the market has shifted in what production is. So is production a low capacity, minor only division, or is production you know, what it was when it originally came in, which is, Hey, you should be able to go to a gun store, buy a gun, and show up with that gun with whatever mags came with it, and be able to shoot a match. And and that and that and that 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 has definitely shifted. I mean, again, you can show up with a Canic, you know, a Canic Rival or a Canic Rival SF. You're paying what five hundred to six hundred fifty dollars, and that gun is basically competition ready out of the box. Yeah. Right. And you definitely, like you said, 23 years ago when Ernest Langdon won the very first production national in 20, year 2000, I mean, you would have never guessed that 23 years later that we'd be where we are, where a production gun basically, like you said, has slide cuts. You can put an optic on it. It comes with, you know, 17 to 20 round magazines, a couple of them, uh, ambidextrous safeties and or um, mag releases and slide stops. <laughs> crazy mm -hmm. and the aftermarket to support all of them being there too no it's it's, it's, it's really it's really changed what we think about production 
And so, you know, part of the challenge as a nonprofit organization is that, you know, it, it takes time to adjust to uh, adjust to the market realities. And, and one of the things that we were trying to do with limited optics is get a little bit ahead of the power curve. And I think we we've done a fairly solid job of that. Right. I mean, it, it was essentially limited with an optic. I know there's questions about major versus minor. Um, you know, realistically, there's one optic, I think, that exists right now that could even stand up to uh, major power factor uh, reciprocating impulse. Um, and then if you were if you were looking at production demand and, and what the manufacturers are creating, you know, there's not really a whole lot of demand for for 40 major uh, limited guns. You know, especially limited optic guns. I mean, I think that number is in the single digits. You know, one to three percent. Some some manufacturers, it's it's high. You know, it's high quantity custom orders only. So, does that mean we're necessarily stifling innovation by saying, "Hey, we're not going to have major"? You know, that it, it's still possible, but it's it's certainly not something that the market is particularly inclined to look at right now. So, what are what are you? I mean, maybe you don't want to tip your hand. I don't know, but which way are you leaning? I increase uh, production to 15 rounds or just whatever fits in the box by kind of like with a, or, or just carry optics without the optic. Um, so, you know, initially when we, when we talked about the options, so Ipsic talks about 15 and, and, and when Ipsic talks about the decision they made for 15, it, it was a little bit of an arbitrary decision. Uh, ironically enough, so it wasn't necessarily politically based. It was just, hey, let's just pick 15. It's a little bit like uh, race car hom homologation, right? You're just trying to have like a single standard. Um, at the time, uh, I, I really liked the idea of just, hey, if it fits in the box, you know, you can just load up to whatever capacity exists. Um, and then that's that's part of the beauty of having those discussions with the members is, you know, they're able to bring up ideas that goes, well, okay, well, what if I fit it in the box and I take out the factory follower and I put in, you know, a thinner follower, it still fits in the box. It's still a factory magazine, but now the guts are slightly different. And then you, you, you start to think about those unintended consequences, right? So, you know, Keanu's side, he's, he's, he's doing some crazy things out there with uh, designing a new follower that just, you know, works and everything. He really wants to make that Beretta PX4 work, but it's something that's really, you know, brought up a very interesting, a very interesting concept, which is okay. Well, I can take a if I can take a Canic TP9, a Canic magazine, and I put a thinner follower and slightly different springs, it fits in the box, still has a base pad, but now instead of you know 18, 19 rounds, I can fit 21 rounds. Okay, is that really the you know the direction that you want to go with production? Do do we you know sort of make production where now it does sort of become an becomes an arms race and and production in its initial uh, concept was, hey, we want to try to establish some kind of level playing field. So I'm a little bit more, you know, I'm a little bit more amenable to just, hey, let's just leave it at 15. Um, you know, the, the idea of RO's not, you know, having a, a difficulty counting to 15 or whatnot. 15 is still something where if I show up with three magazines, you know, you should be able to shoot your typical club match without having to buy extra magazines we do recognize that stage design these days is, is definitely more catered towards higher capacity. Uh, it just is what it is, you know, and 
you know, any questions about like the, the, you know, cheating in the sport or whatnot, look, we've actually done a pretty good job of, of sort of self-identifying and, and self-correcting. You know, USPSA is very much like the military, you know, it sort of self-corrects itself. So, you know, people are going to, people are generally going to find out very quickly if somebody's loading to 17, 18, 19, or whatever, as opposed to 15. I mean, we all just inherently do the math and, and peer pressure, peer pressure goes a long way to, to self-correcting things. So I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit more, uh, inclined towards 15 right now than, you know, magazine capacity. So it's, okay. it's still an adjustment to having a, a defined standard that everybody knows this is what you're supposed to function in. And at the same time, it, it still, you know, it still kind of keeps with the idea of production. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. And um, I've never had to count rounds from someone while they're shooting. So I don't know if that's even a thing or not, you know, the difficulty meeting. Um, so I go back and forth because, you know, I've had Tyler Turner on and he wants to keep it 10. Um, there are people who like the 10 because it becomes part of their uh, stage strategy, you know, figuring out where the reloads are going to be. But on the other hand, I do personally like the 15 round limit better because one, those people who are going to shoot production and want to do ipsic okay there you go you're already there you already know what what's going on but secondly you still have to figure out with only 15 rounds if you have a 32 round stage or even a 30 round stage you're going to have to figure out two different reloads in there so you still have to strategize and figure out where that's going to be but at the same time you don't have to worry about oh i moved over here and i've got eight shots so I'm going to have to reload as soon as I turn. You know what I mean? It gives you a few more rounds to kind of play with. It gives you a little bit more strategy to work with. That, that's my opinion. I prefer the at least 15 rounds. Right. And not keeping it. Clear. Well, I mean, another interesting point that was brought up in the, in the conversation was actually about classifiers themselves. So until until Bruin becomes the law of the land at every you know state we we still have states that are capacity restricted limited and that is actually that was actually a viable concern right so if you are a production competitor or and you're and you're shooting the classifiers that are out there and you know you're only restricted to 10 rounds you know there is going to be a performance difference in a state that says hey I can load to 15 and a state that I can load to 10 so there, there was something, you know, that was another wrinkle in the discussion that goes, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe one of the considerations going forward is that, you know, we at least try to provide some classifiers that are, are, are low capacity friendly, right? So again, classifiers that are, are equitable for anybody shooting in any state, that's roughly 10 rounds. I mean, you're, you're 10 round, you're 10 round and below classifiers right now. I mean, they're, there's a pretty, there's a pretty small list of that if I remember correctly, and so if you're if you're in a capacity restricted state, you're you're kind of stuck shooting some of those same classifiers over and over again. Right. Yeah. Even, but let okay. So last year, 2022, you and I were on the same um, squad mm -hmm. at Carry Optics Nationals, and we had that. Um, Luigi was on our. Oh wait, was that the year before? 
the 444, um, shoot, maybe it was a year before actually. Uh, it was probably the year before. It was it was it was the can you count it was the can you count classifier with movement, basically four targets, four targets, four targets. Correct. Right. But it, so if you're a normal production shooter, you would shoot the first four array, mm -hmm. reload, shoot the second four, reload, shoot the last four. But even with 15, you're gonna so it wasn't Virginia count. So you're like, okay, I have 16, I have exactly 16 rounds. Right. You know, so do I just want to reload anyway, going between arrays, or do I want to risk it and hope that I get it clean and with no makeups, so I'm not having a reload in the middle of an array? You know what I mean? So there's right. still that. You still have to consider the same issues with 15 that you do with 10. Right. It's just not necessarily as bad. But there's an example on a classifier. You still have to, because look, Luigi shot that thing he had a walther but he's using a canic mag that he can get 23 in and he's got one in the chamber so he had 24 rounds he let me use his magazine um so i had 24 but not everybody has that so there's still that whole strategy and then you're like uh do i really want to do it this way because i what if what if i still have a, a makeup shot i'm still right. gonna have to reload anyway and there are opportunities Moving from one array to the other, if you're a Jay Beal, an Isaac Lockwood, a Rob Epiphania, a Tim Heron, who, you know, choose another name with lightning fast reloads, you can easily reload before your next array. So I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of moving it away from 10, one way or another. Right. Well, I mean, that's that's the beauty of kind of, you know, the information that we're seeing from you and a couple other folks on Instagram is actually putting some data to that. Right. Everybody in, in, in instinctually thinks like, oh, you know, if I reload, I'm, I'm automatically at a disadvantage. OK, then that's when you basically put the data out there. Right. OK. You know, is there any opportunity to reload? Does this really impact your classifier score? Um, and, and I think that's, you know, more more data for the sport. I mean, this this is the age of fantasy football. Right. So the, the more statistical data you put out there, you know, people are people are naturally going to want to eat that up and, and try to analyze that as much as possible. And I, I think that's that's something that we should be doing within the sport is just showing the numbers. You know, hey, here's all the numbers out there. You know, go, go do your fantasy football analysis and, and come back and, and tell us what you think. Oakland A's Moneyball. Uh, I, I can't really comment on that, sir, because clearly Moneyball did not work out that well since apparently every every sports team is leaving Oakland and going to Vegas. <laughs> That's just so they can bet more. <laughs> Probably. But they are getting they are getting much nicer facilities. Oh, God, the country. Yeah. But I mean they won a championship with Moneyball. Yes, they did. So, so you can't, you know, they did something right with the statistic that one guy's a genius. Yes, he was. So. So I do want to go back for just a moment because one of the other things we talked about was relationships because you and I had talked where, you know, when you came in, Scott was coming in, Frank was coming in, um, or no, wait, Frank was already there. Scott was coming in, but Mel was coming in and you were coming in. So there was a decent amount of turnover on the board. So now everybody has to learn how to work together and with each other to try to accomplish things. And now we're going to be doing it again, January one, where 
you're going to have that same turnover again. Russell might be coming in early. Who knows? I don't know. I don't have any inside information on that. But since Area 8 is vacant and he was elected, it only makes sense to me that Russell take that office early, assuming he wants to. Right. Well, I mean, there is precedent for that. I mean, Matt Hopkins, you know, when when he was elected, he was he was brought in early. So I think it would yeah. make sense from a from a uh, leadership continuity standpoint. Totally agree. And, but then you're still having to build those relationships. Um, you're you're you'll be at assuming you get elected, you'd be at more of an advantage because you will have already experienced that. So your learning curve is much shortened. Um, and you've built some relationships there. But if you would just touch on that briefly about that whole thing when you first got in and, and realizing what you had to do and how, you know, it's no different, I'm sure, than U.S. politics. You know, they, they're going into the Capitol, whether it be a state or federal, thinking I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, I got to work with these other 300 people. Oh, crap. Well, I, I think that challenge still exists. Um, you know, there really isn't a transition period. I mean, we like to talk about desktop and turnover binders, you know, in the military. And that, for better, for worse, is is not something that really exists. So, I mean, even for myself um, and for Scott, Scott Arnberg, you know, having some understanding and some viewing behind the curtain of, of the current issues and, and how we thought those uh, issues would, were going to be addressed. And then actually being in the position and going and, and trying to figure out the back history and the context. I think that's one of the biggest challenges with, with our, our leadership transitions with, uh, with area directors in general. Um, you have area directors, they show up and you know, there's, the, the context they get on, hey, these are the current issues and here's the history behind the current issues and here's who does this and here's who does that, right? I mean, we, we do talk about, you know, your example of politics and in U.S. politics, there's there's usually some, you know, professional congressional staffer core that basically says, you know, hey, I know you're a freshman and here's the, you know, here's the freshman uh, caucus and here's the, the introduction into kind of how the voting actually works, when you need to be there, so on and so forth. Um, you know, that, that's, that really is sort of a catch and catch all process. So I, I know it was, it was certainly a challenge for, uh, Scott coming in and saying, okay, Scott, like, I know you're really focused on finances. Okay. Here's kind of what we have right now. Here's kind of what we're, here's the context, here's what we're dealing. And whenever an issue would come up, um, just saying, Hey, this, this is kind of the history that that's occurred beforehand. Um, and it is definitely a, a challenging process because it the archival the archival data isn't exactly accessible do you think given time that the managing director can smooth some of that out because they're because everybody else on the BOD everybody is elected therefore you're going to have turnover but if you have a managing director, I guess you could have some consistency. Do you feel that over time that position has the capability to smooth some of that transition out and make that a little bit more well-defined for everybody? Um, I know I, de I definitely believe that it was a it was a process that that we were working on. 
in terms of, hey, you know, what should this turnover look like? Um, we're definitely asking our managing director to do a lot. Um, you know, it is it is something that was brought up in board meetings saying, you know, hey, we've hired this managing director to do all these things. Um, and, and that is a, you know, that that is a, a, a justifiable response. But at the same time, you know, if you're if you're saying, hey, we want the managing director to do these hundred things, and you've only got so much time in the day, um, you know, at some point there has to be, you know, trying to giving some sort of prioritization, right? Okay, you know, we know that we're very focused on the financials this year. So your focus should really be on the financials, making sure that that information is there so that we can, you know, provide an answer back to the membership. Um, and I think that's a concept that that's a, that's something that that's a concept that really needs to be reinforced is that, look, if you, if you have employees of the organization that are making decisions that the members don't agree with, um, those members aren't exactly going to go to that employee and go, Hey, why did you do this? I mean, we have a board of directors for a reason. So ensuring that the, you know, that the lead, the board of directors has the ability to answer questions from the membership in a cogent fashion, um, it, it requires information to be able to say, okay, well, you know, you're not necessarily agreeing with why employee XYZ is doing something, but this is the reason why. And, and that was, you know, that was, that was definitely a work in progress to be able to say, look, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily trying to get into micromanaging into your business, but if we get, if we get questions from the membership, you know, we're the ones that have to answer that. And if we can't right. answer those questions or we just, we just, we just, you know, provide nothing but silence, that's, that's not exactly a good that's look either. Worse. I think that's and, worse. Actually. Yeah. And, and I think we've definitely seen that, you know, since, um, you know, since 2021, 2022, you know, yes. absence of, you know, ignoring, a, a, ignoring requests and not answering it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get any better. Right. And, and I guess part of what I'm, so I'll paint a picture real quick. And that is because we, we both know turnover binders. We, we understand what that is. So if people are listening and don't understand, it's literally when you're in the Marine Corps and you went to another command, um, like when I went to the sniper school, there was literally a binder I could pull out and look at it and go, oh, okay, this is, these are examples of this that we do. These are examples of that that we do. And this is basically, you know, all of the things that encompass my job. Um, so when I get there, I, I may not know exactly what's going on, but if I pull out the binder, at least it kind of acclimates me to the situation. And I, you know, I, I feel like I'm not a fan of a managing director position. However, if we're going to have that, then we need to pay the person appropriately. And I feel like this is where they can manage, whether it's Donna or anybody else. So this is not a, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to point fingers. I'm, I'm just putting my thoughts out as to how I envision this thing where Yemen comes in January one and she gives you access through director of it. Like here's your welcome package. Yemen um, chats with you and gives you the electronic keys to your file on their server. So you can go in there and go, Oh, okay. Here's all the projects 
for the president that still need to be completed. You know, here are other timelines and here's some other stuff I can do. Here's some resources, blah, blah, blah. I feel like that's a way that we can kind of smooth out that transition where we're not having to reinvent the wheel every four years. Um, we, that, that was kind of a work in progress. Um, <clears throat> I think for a lot of area directors coming in, you know, the immediate challenge is just understanding how board meetings function, right? How board meetings function, how Robert's rules of order works, uh, parliamentary procedure. Um, and, and yes, the president is responsible for that. Uh, but there, it, it's also, it's also a, a learning experience. I mean, Donna did a great job at the in-person board meeting. You know, she created this, that she actually did create a binder for the in-person board meeting that actually was like your dummy's guide to uh, parliamentary procedure, Robert's Rules of Order, you know, was a really great resource. Um, but that that's, I think that's the part of the biggest challenge is that, you know, is getting board members to understand like, look, a board meeting is, you know, the, the board meeting has a flow to it. Uh, there is a process by which you're supposed to talk about things. And it's not necessarily a, the same collegial fashion that we're talking here, because if we do that, um, you know, board meetings can take a really long time. I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking about a number of different topics, but it's just the two of us, right. you know, I, we board meetings were just, were definitely a lot longer than I would have liked. Um, and, and some of it was quite frankly, because we did have a lot of, of information that we needed to cover. And, and some of it was also just trying to keep things, you know, on task. Look, you know, this is the topic we're going to talk about. We're only going to spend a certain amount of time and, and making sure that you're, you're, you're doing that within the right way. So, you know, uh, even, even with my experience, you know, being a president, uh, president of Richmond Rodney Gun Club, you know, I still had to learn a lot about Robert's rules, uh, and, and, you know, how to appropriately do things within a parliamentary procedure. Um, Frank Rizzi was a really great assistance for that. I mean, he's still a current, he's still the president of, um, of colonial, colonial gun club in Staten Island. So, you know, he was very, very knowledgeable in that. And, and it was a great resource while I was there as president. Was there any, because you can look at the, you can go back and look at the, um, the notes from all of the different meetings and they would go, you know, five or six hours. And like, my gosh, what in the world is, why are these things ending after midnight? You know, was there ever any discussion like, 10 p.m. is our limit. If if we don't get to everything, then we'll we'll motion for another meeting in two weeks to take up the subjects that weren't discussed and finish it that way. Because I mean, look, you're like you said, you said it yourself. Everybody's a volunteer, so everybody has a life outside of their BOD responsibility. Um, Russell's coming in. We know he has a full time job. Why would anybody want to stay up past 10 if you know you're getting up at 6 a.m. in the morning to go to your regular bill paying job? You know what I mean? Um, no, that there there were definitely moments where we we did move to table things until uh, until another meeting. Um, I think it still kind of highlights the the the, the issues of having a, a part time volunteer board position. Right. Um, board meetings ideally would be more about decision making rather than discussion. You know, you would 
you would assume that you would want to try to do a lot of the discussion beforehand. And there's, there's just challenges to that. Um, I think trying to find, trying to find the right balance of what the board members, you know, what the board members time, time constraints are, you know, what they're able to pay attention to, uh, filling them in. I mean, that was, you know, that was an ongoing work in progress, you know, going into board meeting and saying, okay, look, this, this is the agenda. Okay. I know you guys have day jobs. Here's all the context, you know, take a look at this document. If you have any questions, you know, at least you, you've gotten the, the, the high level briefing on it. Um, you know, it, it, it's a cultural change and, and sometimes that, sometimes that was received well, and sometimes there was a little bit more uh, resistance to that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still a lot to be done, too. So yeah, I can see where it's very demanding on individuals, be, you know, to split their time between stuff they're doing for USPSA and, you know, working their full-time job where, you know, they don't, they don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize that job either, you know? Right. No, the demand is, is you know, it, it, we, we talked about it briefly where you just say, look, if there's at least some sort of transition, you know, document that I look at, I can look at it and it says, hey, these are all the issues that we've been dealing with for the last year. And here's the historical context. You know, at that point, you're at least putting it, you know, putting the responsibility on the individual to say, hey, I, at least, I, you know, if I'll, I'll take the time to be able to do this research on my own. Um, and I think what I've seen is what I observed in my time there was that um, you pretty much just got thrown in. Uh, you pretty much just got thrown in with all your all your gear and and hey, go swim. I hope you don't sink to the bottom and need the rescue swimmer. Right. I was just looking at the survey. I just had a, a quick question. What are your thoughts on um, optics and limited ten? Because, like you said, I've been throwing out numbers, and if it were up to me. Limited 10 revolver and single stack, something something has to be done. I'm not saying they have to be eliminated, but something has to be done. When at level two matches, limited 10 is 0.69% participation, revolvers 1.12%, and single stack is at 258 There, There's a big problem. So we're only talking, what, four and a half, roughly four and a half, a little less than four and a half percent participation in all of those three combined. Right. So um, do you so, I mean, when L, when when optics and L10 was initially presented, um, you know, after the initial, okay, why are we thinking about that? Um, there, there actually is some validity to that. I mean, we've never, it, it historically, I think the membership does have a, a a good point in acknowledging that once a division is created, it, it never really goes away. Um, I think it goes back to, you know, not wanting to take away from the membership um, and not. And so if, if you were to think about adding optics to, to L10, well, what does that do? Well, it, it, it does, it does at that point become a little bit of an experimental division. It does become a, 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 a purely low capacity division. Um, the discussion at the time was really just optics. Yes, that's it. Whether that's refined or not, I mean, we've got about 
I think we've got about two or three months left before that needs to be presented to the board. But it was just, if you want to put optics on a gun, have at it. So what does that do? You know, that that does provide a little bit of experimentation within um, slide mounted optics for major or frame mounted optics. It did provide the opportunity for your I-Core guys to be able to come in. Now, whether they're actually going to do that, I mean, I you know, we can talk about we can talk about that for days. But at the end of the day, it does provide an option for those people that shoot I-Core and have optics on a revolver and just say, hey, you know, I, I, I still want to be able to shoot my revolver. I mean, there is a core group of people that shoot revolver. I, I think when we talk about single stack and revolver, you know, the the two things that that the one thing that really supports both of those divisions is that they are unique. If nothing else, they're unique, right? Revolver is its own action type. You know, there's not really, Revolver doesn't really fit into any other division. Yeah, it's um, unique. And single stack is basically a 1911, right? It doesn't really fit into any other division. So there is at least a uniqueness to those two divisions that, that maybe doesn't exist with L10. I mean, L10, I think we can say is, a an artifact of a political a bygone political time so one of the the you know having optics in l10 if nothing else it would be an opportunity to to say okay this is a low capacity division and it can be somewhat experimental and i think that's part of the the challenge that we have in uspsa um and it was part of the message i tried to put out is that whenever you have new technology that could potentially impact the sport there really isn't a good place to say hey let's put this in a box somewhere let's experiment with this and see you know what the impact is where it fits how could it potentially impact the game as a whole before you actually bring it in so um the only option we really have is a provisional division right that's how carry optics came into being right well what do I do with a production gun that has a, sl a, sli a slide mounted dot? I mean, all the arguments that people are putting against limited optics, those are the same arguments that were presented against carry optics when it first came out, you know, 2014, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015. It was, yeah, you have a place for that. Go shoot an open. Okay, we know that's not what open is, right? It, it doesn't allow you to properly evaluate the viability of that technology because we all know open is basically a 2011 with a comp frame mounted optic shooting major you shoot anything other than that in open it basically skews the numbers and it doesn't give you a realistic um, assessment so you know optics in l10 uh, i'm I was, I was definitely warming to the idea you know after the discussion i was like okay you know this could be potentially some kind of an experimental division that's relatively low impact within the sport itself i mean look at the end of the day people will say well why do we have these many divisions like okay well are you shooting l10 like what is the impact to you like you know even the numbers that you you've done the assessment with right it's what less than one percent are shooting l10 so even as far as your administrative impact to awards and whatnot you know, that's that's not a that that doesn't appear to me to be a significant impact Right. You still have to meet your minimum requirements to have an award. So if you have one guy that decides they want to, you know, three guys that decide they want to shoot L10, well, okay, have at it. You know, have, you know, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're coming to participate. Yeah. I have a, I have a couple of that. 
I, I almost feel like if you want to have limited optics, minor, okay, and do away with limited tin. You just have limited, limited optics, whatever fits, fits, um, with carry optics. And then, like, I agree with you about revolver and single stack. Those two are hard to do away with. They're, they're somewhat unique. One is based on a, a frame, and, and the other one is a whole unique, another completely different frame with a rotating cylinder, and it is completely different. So, I, and I almost like, I, I kind of like the idea when you said just optics or not. Uh, but interesting, I think uh, Jay was saying something about limited 10 and revolver he mentioned something about shooting limited 10 with a revolver it was uh i don't remember now exactly it was recently too like either today or yesterday um because you almost have the same capacity i think he has like eight round capacity in his revolver it is it is an eight round capacity it would be interesting if the if the rules were modified so that revolver major was not just six rounds so um, I'd have to do the research, but I, I think you could probably find some 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 eight round, you know, three fifty seven revolvers out there. But per USPSA rules, it's only six major six rounds. So okay, and there and and it is literally a needle in a haystack finding anybody shooting revolver in major. I think I've seen it three times in 10 years oh wow i, I mean because i'm looking at the stats i have right now i mean you've had a total of zero gms shooting a level two match or above in limited 10. zero not a single one if it's if it's if it's not an l10 nationals exactly right yep now five in revolver and 10 in single stack so now limited optics only has three, but how many people are actually qualified? I mean, you have more un unclassified individuals on the statistics than any other category because it just hasn't been out long enough for people to get classified. But but they still have more limited optic gym competing than limited ten. Right. So like you said, unless it's you know going to be an iron sight national, somebody's going to shoot it. But, Something's got to be done because that is, those are pretty pathetic numbers. So, I mean, even even production really at five point eight four percent, not very big. Right. Well, it it is kind of a high It's a it's a high capacity optics world. I mean, I think I think what we're what we're looking at, and so then the yep. philosophically the question is, okay, do we need to try to adjust the? You know, do we need to try to? Do we need to try to direct the sport in a way so that it's supposed to be equitable for every division or do do we really just acknowledge that hey your your typical gun owner these days is more than likely to buy a firearm that has an optic on it 100 percent. yeah and I and mean, what and at the end of the day, is is that you know, is that is it such a you know such a demand where you're like, oh my gosh, we absolutely have to do something about this, right? So I mean, your your participation in your major matches is still basically capped. It's a math problem. We can only fit so many people. So then the you know at the club level, 
well, is that really something that's impacting somebody at the club level to say, oh my gosh, if we don't get rid of L10 or if we don't do something about single stack or revolver, you know, people are still going to show up at a club match and basically shoot what whatever they decide to shoot that day. Um, and the club, the club matches are still ultimately what drives the sport. I mean, shoot, I, I have to admit, I, I was getting, I wasn't practicing at all. I mean, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of motivation to practice and, and definitely shooting with a dot. If you're not doing it every day, it's kind of a problem. Uh, especially the older I get, I, 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 I have a new empathy. I'm going, wow, I think I might actually need to get glasses now. This is bad. And, um, so, but, but I, you know, I, I still enjoy my time shooting, shooting single stack. So at, at a couple club matches, I just decided, well, I'll shoot, show up and shoot single stack major. And even if I'm the only guy, I think the last match I was one, two guys out of 160 shooting single stack, but I, I didn't really care. I mean, I just, it was, it yeah. was nice to know that I could still shoot. I could still do the math, you know, I could still do the reloading, um, and I, I think something that that's that's something that I really needed to remember. It's it's you know there is a there is a portion of us where we're just like, hey, we're always going to constantly get better. We're going to try to improve. Um, but then for the vast majority of us, it's like, okay, well, what do I feel like shooting today? All right, I'll go shoot this. You know, can you still have fun with that? Yes, you can. Yeah, and this is where I, you know the the local circuit are your fun match. You know, you go, you hang out with your buddies, you shoot whatever you want, you do what you want to do. Um, for those people trying that, for the 10% that want to go further, then they're going to pick a division and get better at it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Once they feel like they've mastered it, uh, like we, we have a local guy, um, Josh Shaw, GM. Well, for the longest time, you know, I saw him shooting the same type guns. Well, now I see him branching out and shooting all kinds of different things, you know, just making himself a more well-rounded shooter in general. But he still kind of focuses on one. Um, but that's how I see those 10% that move up. They're going to they're gonna focus. So the local matches, yeah, they're, people are going to come and shoot whatever. They may shoot something different each match. Who knows? But... Um, there should be more play in there for those match directors at the local one to be able to have a little more wiggle room as to what people can or can't shoot with. Like, like before they made appendix legal for everybody for every level, they could have just said appendix is legal at all level one matches. We don't care. You know, we'll, we'll have different rules for major matches, but I kind of, I kind of like the idea of having a little bit more freedom at the local level to do what you want, right? Within reason. Well, whatever within reason is. <laughs> well, that that's the, that's the challenge. I mean, you know, yeah, you have a very, I have I have a very robust, you know, uh, culture out in California. You have a pretty robust culture in the Northern Virginia area, but you know, I think we've all heard They're about clubs that are a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yes, sir. I have no issue with that whatsoever. But yeah, something I feel almost like it's just got to be completely realigned because it's just not. I feel like we are 20 years behind the current trend. So something's got to be done there. Now, from 
what your time in office, so you've had a little bit of behind the curtain time. Now you're running again, say you get elected. Um, is there anything you've added or removed from what you were running on before? Are you going to attack the, I don't want to say attack, that's the wrong word. Are you going to go in with different um, objectives than you did before? I think definitely a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a limited set of objectives, I think is something that is probably more realistic. Um, I certainly didn't think I was going in with a, a massive you know, change a la Obama, but uh, apparently, you know, that's how it was received in, in some areas. The communication, I think, is, is, is probably still the focus of getting that message out there, having having these sort of discussions with the membership to be able to say, look, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Um, you know, I was Scott was very good at that. Um, and and I, I really appreciated just going on podcasts. Right. I mean, it is part I felt it was integral to the job to be able to have those sort of discussions, you know, kind of like your your Sunday political talk shows. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Um, and also understanding that because we were starting this new paradigm with a with a board and a managing director, um, you know that that process was definitely a little bit more contentious than I expected. Uh, being able to kind of figure out like who's talking to who, who's got what job, what is this person's responsibility, what is this person actually supposed to do? Um, I think just just being able to define that and understanding, okay who's supposed to be handling this job? What is this person's, you know, what, wh who's responsible for this? And then actually being able to say, okay, what are their expected results? I mean, I think there, there is something to be said about accountability. Accountability is, well, I think everybody did get an opportunity to kind of see that, that the president is obviously, you know, accountable at all levels. But I think that account, I, I would like to believe that that accountability also exists, you know, across everybody else that represents the organization in some sort of leadership capacity. And I think it's it's good for the membership to be able to understand, like, hey, you know, this person is responsible for this. Okay, so what what are you know what are what are the results? What is it that you're supposed to accomplish? When are you going to accomplish this? And even you know, and again, we understand that we are not. USPSA is not the same corporate organization that you might expect in the rest of the United States, but at least an understanding of, okay, if this is what we say we're going to do, well, then at the very least, you know, the board members should be able to respond to their members and say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is about how long it's going to take. And this is how much, this is how much we think it's going to cost. Yeah. Now I don't remember how, how long was Donna in position before you? Barely a month. Okay. So my question is this, how much of all of that friction is, because I, I know Donna worked with Bruce Wells and area Sense. Okay. So I'm thinking you have board members who were there who created the new bylaws, who had a, an idea of what they were looking at for managing director. Meaning like the managing director is going to be doing this. Um, the person who was hired as the manager director could have had a different perspective like, oh, Bruce was a board member. 
he and I have spoken. I'm I'm thinking it's going to be this, which is a different view. Doesn't have to be a lot, but ten degrees off from what the BOD is thinking. And then you have new people coming in thinking other things and having other ideas. How much of that was just everything colliding at one time? I think I think that's a pretty accurate representation of you know kind of expectations of you know what what was what was imagine what, what was how the implementation was going to go and then how the implementation actually went i think that's actually a pretty good pretty good representation of we think we're going to do this and wait this job actually has a lot more to it than expected and then okay who's who's giving you know who's who who who's going who's giving the the minor course corrections Right. So well, there, there was definitely uh, there's there was definitely a lot of executive chefs. And I can see that. Yeah, I totally get that. I almost look at it as like it needs to be the same relationship as um, I, I'm not sure how it works in, in California. But out here, like you have a county executive who is a high, he's the CEO of that county but he reports to the BOD, which is which is the County Board of Supervisors. Right. You know what I mean? So in conjunction, you know, he's like, look, he lays everything out and they go, yes or no. Or no, we need to discuss this, you know, in other quarters at other times or whatever. But I, I feel like it's that same exact, should be the same type of relationship where as the board, like if you set, you're setting the agenda, She's coming in to talk to the board and you guys feel you need more info Then it should be like, look, we need answers to A, B, and C. Let's get back together in two weeks, revisit this, and then move on. You know what I mean? Right. And I feel like that's where everybody coming in to a brand new situation and everybody having a different perspective. It's like, blam, it was like the perfect storm. It was uh, definitely a little bit more contentious than I expected. I get it. I, I totally get it. But I also think that maybe that position might be underpaid as well, especially for what, what they want. Right. Just, just me. As well as the president. I was shocked when I saw that they dropped the salary to 50000 I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, the, the, the assessment at the time was that the president would no longer have the match director responsibilities for nationals and so as a result because you know match director responsibilities for nationals were were again we'll we'll see i, I don't think that's been changed in the bylaws yet you know that it was truly a part-time job um of course the irony is is that i think the presidential salary 10 years ago was 60 to sixty-five thousand dollars, and it was considered wow. a part-time position so so when phil was in something like that yeah and when there was a match i mean a managing director at that time too. correct wow so i guess it's a it's it's a it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of internet drama for a job that pays less than it did 10 years ago and and we're not even well, talking about the non-existent inflation <laughs> Hey, real wages are up. That's a if, lie. If you say All so. 
Yeah, that's what they're trying to push now. Get the hell out of here. You people are idiots. <laughs> or you think we're idiots. That's what it is. Um, anything in particular? Um, again, you had a limited amount of time, but from what you did see, is there looking back you're like oh we really need to or i need to talk to the guys about this particular topic as it pertains to these sets of things that we can work on to make uh, more improvement rapidly within the organization well i think the challenge with the nonprofit uh, in general is that rapid change is is not as rapid as people think um you know, I definitely focused quite a bit on ensuring that I was communicating with the membership. Um, I think communication within the organization is something that I wanted to, I definitely am going to, you know, be a little bit more explicit uh, about. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of communication. I think that's, that's one thing that I was very surprised. I, I anticipated to a certain extent, but I didn't quite realize just how much time I was going to be spending on the phone. It was a lot of time spent on the phone and just communication and, and, and coordination in general. I think at the very least, you know, the, the role of the president is is a fair amount of, okay, just trying to make sure that the left hand is talking to the right hand and that, you know, both hands are communicating, you know, to the membership, which is, you know, is, is our external as our external customer at the end of the day. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of just making sure that everybody's on the same sheet of music. And so I, I definitely, you know, want to ensure that I'm focusing a little bit more on that, you know, internally with the organization, um, so that there's no, you know, that there's no assumptions, um, of, you know, what is it that, you know, what is it that Yumi is trying to do? There were, there were definitely a few more assumptions about there's some more assumptions about intent and motivations that um, I didn't even know I had. Mm, okay. And, and I do agree with the change doesn't come rapidly, but I do feel like at times there are little things you can do like, and here's a quick example. Um, I know that when I had some of these private conversations, the, the point was made that the way the old finance director maintained records is different than they want to do going forward. So that might be a change in software or a change in policy or something that can be acted upon quickly, which can have a big effect within a year, <clears throat> you know, going forward. That would right. be something quicker. Realigning divisions is not something that would happen very quickly. Well, there so, was, I mean, there was definitely progress on the financial side of actually getting the accounting accounting done in a manner that not only provided the appropriate visibility to the board but also in a manner that could be communicated to the membership i mean there was definitely some you know it, it, it was a lot of work on the part of the managing director you know donna was spending just ungodly amounts of time you know trying to make sure that that information was was appropriately accounted for and so you know that that was that was one thing that i felt we, that was a step in the right direction just being able to say hey you know where are the expenses going are, are they properly accounted for um so that 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 was something that that you know i could say we we actually we were actually making some pretty good progress to be able to just get better visibility in general okay and and if nothing else i mean i i still you know i still believe that 
you know, after every board meeting, you know, the minutes come out, there should be, you know, there should be some, uh, there, there should be some, some format that we, we communicate to the membership, you know, me, meeting minutes are only a description of actions taken, right? You can say that, okay, you know, we did this, but to be able to explain the context, I think that's, that's what the membership is looking for. Membership is looking for, hey, you know, well, you guys made this decision. Why did you guys do that? Okay, well, here's here's the information, you know, that that really is not, you know, the, the meeting minutes are not the right place for that. But just explain, explain why. I think that's at, at the at the end of the day, you know, for the members that are involved and want to be involved in the sport, just explain why. Might not, you know, I'm not, I'm, we're not trying to convince you. We're not trying to say like, hey, this is the only way. But at least you know, providing the context. And at that point, at least, at least the membership knows why a decision was made and not just have right. to, to guess in private conversations and, and assumptions. I agree. And look, I, I still am a proponent of live streaming meetings, mm -hmm. Put your, you know, schedule your executive session in the beginning or the end. You know, beginning would be better. And then you can just put up a screen, you know, in executive session until you come out and then people can watch the rest of the discussion. Um, I don't I honestly don't see where the issues lie with that. But that, I, I think that takes care of a lot of those things. Now. I had Todd Jarrett on as well as him being on the debate, but. He did have some good ideas. He had some things that I liked, some that I, I wasn't crazy about. I wasn't a fan of the one-day nationals. I think nationals should be a marathon, not a sprint, um, because it should really test your consistency over days. And you see the top people, the ones who are always there at the top, are the ones who are consistent over multiple days. I like that. I think that's the best way to do it. But that's just me. However, he did have some really good ideas. And he wanted to help the sport. He wanted to help the organization, help the sport. He, he's motivated. He's at that point of his career. He's not looking to be a national champion, but he's still got 40 years invested in the sport that he still loves. Um, and my thought was, why couldn't we create almost like an ambassador position for someone like, and I'll use Todd as an example, who has all these ties in the in the sport and wants to do stuff, maybe there's a position that the board can create where they appoint an ambassador for a certain period of time for the sport, maybe every year, you know, so they're not, I don't know if a year is long enough, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's too short, I don't know, but where they can still give back to the sport they want to help when they have all this motivation to do that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, we, we, Todd and I actually did speak quite a bit uh, about some of his ideas. I mean, the, the idea of an advisory council, right? Um, yep. You know, being able to to leverage those those members that have you know participated in the sport for a long time, especially being able to see the you know knowing the history and the context of what happened mm -hmm. beforehand. Um, you know, there is something to be, I, I think, I think that's something that we can still improve upon 
basically asking those members who to love and, and care about the sport to be able to say, you know, hey, like how how can how can how can you help us? And you just ask. I, I think that was that was that was the thing I really appreciated about my time as president was that you know, just just asking for help, um, just just asking for help, asking for help, you know. Just the simple process of asking, and and people would just come out of the woodwork, you know, say, "Hey." But how were, how did you go about doing that? Um, a fair amount was just going through existing, you know, existing relationships. Hey, this is something I see. Um, do you, is is there somebody that you can recommend? You know, this is this is a situation that I'm. I'm I think that we, you know, we're trying to to make some improvements on, but I'm not really quite sure how we're going to go about it with our limited resources. Well, and I ask that because at the same time, you know, you do have, I mean, Jay Slater has created a very intriguing software. You have Practical Shooting Analytics, who has done a crap ton of work on classifiers, and high hit factors, and percentages and stuff that's just out of this world. Like some of it, I look at and I'm like, there are so many lines on there. I don't know what he's trying to say, but mm -hmm. it's amazing. You know, the detail is crazy good. So there are people out there. Um, I, I feel like the USPSA, uh, you can call this a criticism if you want, but I don't mean it in a personal way, underutilizes social media for to put out things. You know, hey, or even the email system, you know, hey, we're looking for people to help in this area. You know, we're looking for input in this area, doing these things where they do garner a, you know, you're basically throwing a net across the entire membership of USPSA. You get your feedback of those who want to help and you can kind of filter through it. Oh, we'll take a, you know, we'll take a world class guy. We'll take some M's. We'll take some A's, B's and C's and mix them all together and see what we come up with. But I feel like they're just not, there isn't that information going out looking for those things that people might have specialty uh, skills with. Well, I, I think that's uh, an initiative that you can, you know, basically process through the board so that the board can basically say, hey, look, we're, we, we acknowledge that there are members out there that are basically doing amazing things just in their own free time. I mean, I know Jay Slater, I mean, that that's not his day job. Right. And, no. and, you know, in the conversations that we've had, you know, he just really enjoys the statistical analysis kind of, you know, self-taught. And it's, it's been really nice to see, you know, the evolution of his, of his analysis, you know, just going back from a year to where it is now. So, you know, that's, that's an initiative that, we can communicate through the board that basically says, you know, again, it's, it's finding, it's finding the right, the right mechanisms within the organization to, to, to ask for that help. Okay. The other one I had was, uh, I forget who I was talking to, um, but there's a lot of people who, I don't want to say a lot. I don't want to put out false false numbers or false hopes or anything, but there seems like there are more people than has been in the past in the short time I've been in the sport looking to do a little bit more international travel, a little bit more international shooting. Several guests I've had on have mentioned and now they're like a couple, uh, several of them have said, if there's one thing I can recommend is 
go somewhere and shoot an international match. But other than them contacting the president to make sure they for the matches they need a letter stating they're a member in good standing, there really isn't um, anything that anybody can point me to that says, here's how you do it. Right. You know, here's some assistance with that. So, you know, that's one of the things we've been talking about, too, is a way for USPSA to create something for the members that whether it's in the on their website, under the member section for international travel. I don't know. But what are your thoughts on that? I, I think it makes sense, you know, to for us to be able to have that one stop. Maybe maybe not as bad as DTS, but something similar where you can say, you know, if you're thinking about traveling to an international match, uh, it's generally not as it's not as complicated, I think, as as most people would believe. Um, I think our the the real challenge with international travel is really just the the firearms part because there really isn't a there really isn't a single single solution, right? I mean, the general the general is that the general outline is okay if you want to go to this match that match should basically tell you, hey, this is what you need to be able to travel to um, international travel for this competition. But every, you know, every country can has it have its own unique yeah. process. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and those processes don't always make logical sense. Right. Uh, and I mean, Linda... Turnbull and Max Leo Grandis had their PCCs confiscated in a country they were traveling through in Europe. Right. Um, so I get it. But I was, I forget who I was, I was talking to. I'm like, well, because I had talked to my wife. I'm like, hey, you know, there's a match in country X. I'm like, it looks like a pretty cool match. Um, but I also wouldn't mind visiting there. So maybe we visit there and, and have a vacation at the end. I shoot the match or something. But then the, thought came up what the hell am i going to do with my guns if i shoot the match at the beginning and then i'm traveling around or if i shoot it at the end what am i doing while i'm traveling around you know little things like that it's like uh... and then someone told me they're like oh contact the match director and say hey you know who who could i leave sometimes he said it's with the match director himself you just leave your guns with that guy he'll take care of them hang on to them you do what you're going to do come back you know, after the uh, after you're traveling and pick them up, or when you shoot them, you just take them and leave. But little things like that, you're like, uh, how do I do that? You know it's I mean? it's it's a fair amount of, I guess, in a, it's a little bit like you know the State Department. You know, find find the consular point of impact, uh, point of contact, and then they'll usually kind of figure that out. Uh, and sometimes it's, I, I know for the United States, you know, being very sensitive to. You know firearms laws across the country uh, across the country you know you you may not necessarily get something that says okay this is a very well-defined gives me a warm and fuzzy uh but a lot of you know there, there's a number of countries where you know they're they're basically trying to navigate their own unique laws as best they can right and you know we we have people like before the world shoot becky yackley had put out some stuff on yep. travel because she's traveled all around. So she put out a bunch of stuff. I can see where somebody like that, you could, you know, maybe work out something where 
she just puts together a whole thing on international travel things to think about checklist you know because uh i think even one of the things she talked about like just over-the-counter medication stuff yeah i was like oh she mentioned something in particular that i was like oh i would have never thought of that so it's just things like that it's like whoa if i hadn't seen it i would have never thought that becky would had put it's just odd you know it's just one of those things for the members there are so many yeah there's de there's definitely some extra considerations that yeah it, it almost makes you wish that you had you know you had an admin office that could say okay this is your checklist of things you have to do you know your your pack list yeah. so on and so forth um and and it was it was a great resource and i really appreciate becky like just taking all that time to put that into her blog post yeah yeah that I don't even remember where I found it now, but yeah, it was very interesting. It was a good read. So, are you are you looking to for looking forward to possibly four years as the president? I'm looking forward to serving the membership again. Okay. You know, there's still a lot of good. You speak with the members that are are participating in their club matches and the love is still there you know what what happens at the national level but I, I it is what it is you know you can't take back what's happened in the past uh, you know it's, it's all it's all business for the most part but there's there's still a there's still a lot of work that i i thought i felt that we were making some really good progress towards and i'd like to just be able to continue that well, that's all I've got, Eman. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or clarify? Well, I know I know there's some questions about the I, I know there's some questions about the path forward. Look at the end of the day. You know, oh, yes. you know, look at the end of the day, the election is still going to happen. You know, we're still basically trying to vote based on you know what your conscience tells you as far as the members are concerned. Um, you know, I believe. I believe in in what I'm running for. I know Luigi believes in what he's running for, and regardless of who you pick, I think the members pick it, it should be based on you know what who you believe is going to do the best job. The path forward again, I would look at it the same way that the Area Four Director situation was handled. There is no RO certification. There is a you know look at it from a double jeopardy perspective. You know the decision was made, the revocation was made. There has already been a consequence should the you know should the should the members decide to vote me back in then if we're kind of starting from a clean slate this is the the opportunity is presented you know i look forward to basically having the opportunity to you know take class you know do what's reasonably required to to regain that certification so that per the bylaws you know i can serve the membership as the president so but we, we could probably we could probably spend an entire show by itself just talking about the what ifs. Yeah, we we definitely could. But as I understand it, yeah, you're just gonna if you were elected, you just petition the board, and it it seems from my perspective that it's already determined that it's predetermined that if you get elected, then they're gonna grant you the same opportunity they gave now to regain your RO and then move on from there. If I'm wrong, I'll give you the opportunity now to correct that. You've probably heard more than I have at this point. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's the joys of politics. 
you know, we, we, we have enough fun trying to talk about the upcoming presidential election for the actual United States. And now we get to talk about the potential political ramifications for our little tiny corner of the universe known as a USPSA. And I, I mean, if, if I am wrong and you do get elected and then um, they deny it, I think there, there's just going to be organization. The members might just actually, hopefully I, I'm correct in what I well, uh, uh, we'll we'll just we'll just assume that hope is hope, hope and faith is a course of action. I believe it, you believe it, so it'll happen. There you go. It, it's done. Hundred percent. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, we're going to have to do this again in the not too distant future. Well, it's always good to be on the show with you, David. I appreciate it. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs>